We have a special bonus episode today full of tips and tricks for Thanksgiving. You don't want to miss it. Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm a chef by trade and hospitality professional. By day, I head up Rachel Ray's culinary operations and co-founded her cooking and kids charity called Yummo. Five years ago, I had the idea to put together a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. Hence, the name Beyond the Plate. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or, like the chefs we feature, make a difference in your community. With that... All right, everyone. We're actually not sitting down with a guest today. It's just us, some of the Beyond the Plate family, and we thought we'd get together and have a fun conversation about what we're up to in the kitchen for this Thanksgiving. So you're going to hear from myself, along with our digital media master, Sarah McClellan, me, and we'll be quarterbacked by our executive producer, Ian. And before I forget, you're going to want to start following Sarah on social media, if you're not already, at Sarah McClellan NY. That's S-A-R-A-H. M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-N-Y. We'll share links to some of the recipes we talk about during the episode, as well as the timestamp of where we talk about it in the episode to make it a little easier for you to find. I can speak for myself that starting today, I'll probably rack up somewhere around 50 to 100 texts and calls from people needing tips, advice, or recipe ideas in general. So here we are. We hope this inspires you in the kitchen and you have a great Thanksgiving. Ian, what's up, dude? Cappy, are you already tired from all the uh, requests or are you like just getting started here? I mean, literally, they started rolling in this week. No, I don't get tired. I kind of like it. It's, you know, people get inspired to maybe cook a new dish or try a new technique. I'm glad you like it because I'm guilty. I am one of them that will constantly text or email you uh, cooking advice. And I have not done Thanksgiving yet with you because I'm going to get all the info right now from you. And also, Anyone that was thinking of following me, please follow Sarah. It's a much better account to follow. (laughs) Mine are just pictures of my kids. Hers are beautiful food and all the cool stuff that she does. And pictures of my kid. I'm happy to be here too. Yeah. (laughs) And your kid. And my kid. You know, good to have you here too, Sarah. Thank you. I thought you'd be great because I have a question for you, but I know everyone wants to do the turkeys. We're going to do turkey first, (laughs) and then I'm going to get into what I have for you, okay? Perfect. So, Cappy. Yes, sir. Turkey. I feel like you grew up, you know, you got to get up, put the turkey in, you know, god awful early morning time. You don't do that, right? You just give it, well, maybe you do a god awful time. But you you have a way of doing the turkey that uh, sous vide. Is that correct? I do. I mean, I I like to sleep. So I always look for the hack of what's going to let me sleep a little longer. And that's definitely not throwing a big 15 to 20 pound turkey in the oven and waiting all day for it to cook. I've deep fried, which is also much quicker. Obviously, be careful with deep frying. I'm a big fan of that. But the past few years, I've switched to the good old sous vide technique. If you own an immersion circulator, a sous vide machine, I highly recommend it. But I recommend it only for the turkey breasts because you don't really need to sous vide dark meat turkey. It's a little more forgiving. And this is going to sound way easy. And it is literally take two turkey breasts and you invert them over each other, season them all over salt and pepper, invert them so you're making like one log, if you will. And then you tie it up. So it's like a roast and you bag it and drop it in the sous vide. You could do it at many different temperatures. I do it at 145 degrees for two and a half hours. That is it. 
I know you were waiting for some super long recipe, but I'm telling you, 145, two and a half hours for turkey breast, it's like perfection. Switching gears really quick to the dark meat. I go this low roast method, 275 degree oven, roasted in parts, your legs, thighs, wings, if you want to, put them on a rack, set over a baking sheet in a 275 degree oven. Usually takes somewhere around two to three hours. You're going to want to cook it until it goes to about 150 degrees, which is not fully cooked. Take them out of the oven, let them cool for 30 minutes. They can sit on your counter for a couple hours. And then like 30 minutes before Thanksgiving dinner, throw them back in a ripping hot oven, like 500 degrees for, I don't know, keep an eye on them, 15 to 30 minutes or until they're like super crisp. And by that time, they'll be cooked through. That's what I'm doing. Sous vide turkey breast, low roast, dark meat. Don't be afraid of the 145 degree temperature. I know some people are like cocking their head to the side like a dog, like 145, huh? I'm not a doctor, a scientist, or I don't work for like a food safety organization, although I am certified. Everyone knows fully cooked poultry to 165. Once poultry hits 165, it just like kills all the like bacteria within like seconds. But if you are cooking it at a lower temperature, as long as it's held at that lower temperature for a certain amount of time, in this case, the time I'm giving you, you're good and you're safe to eat it. Both of these techniques I got through Serious Eats. So if you Google sous vide turkey breast, Serious Eats, or low roasted turkey, Serious Eats, you will find them. And I will also link to them in the episode notes of the podcast player that you're listening on right now. Well, you might not be a scientist, but you definitely are playing one on a podcast. So that's good. And is all that going back together at 500 degrees, Cappy, the ripping hot, or is just the dark meat or both the breasts and the dark meat? So just the dark meat's going back in the ripping hot oven. The white meat will be done. You're not, you don't have to sear it or anything like that. There's another method you'll find in this Serious Seats article for kind of cooking the turkey skin by itself, which is incredibly delicious. You'll find it in the recipe. If you're up for it, I highly recommend it. It's essentially like turkey chicharron, and it's amazing. All right. Well, Sarah's eyes just got really yeah. wide, so that's good. I can see that here on the video recording. And perfect timing, because Sarah, before we get to the turkey, it's all about the happy hour, which is yes. my jam. Mine too. And that's where I like to hang. So I am always in charge of the cheese, charcuterie, you know, the fun plates uh -huh. that come out. I know this is where you live. My question for you, which I'm sure you get, is soft cheese and hard cheese. Now, do you have any tips? Sometimes I put the cheese out too quickly and the soft cheese gets too soft, but I like to have both on the plate. Do you have a tip to make sure that that doesn't happen, I guess, you know, as you're trying to, you know, want something out for a while, right? To have people graze and hang out. Do you have a tip yeah. for the soft cheese? Wait, 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 wait. We have to like preface this. Sarah's like the queen of like the charcuterie cheese board. <laughs> Like she has a business called Shark Bites, like short for charcuterie. And so like send all your cheese boards, charcuterie, accoutrement questions, Sarah's way. Sorry, Sarah. Anyway. Well, yeah. Let's thanks, get, listen, these are questions I have, but I'm sure you get that question. No, I do. I'm a lot. I do a lot. And often people wonder like, okay, where do I start with cheese? And I think exactly what you said is correct. You want to have varying sort of textures and flavors. So always have something nice and soft on there. You can sort of go hardcore and get as pungent as you like. I'm sort of a fan of those stinky 
French cheeses. If that's not going to be your jive with whoever is coming to your Thanksgiving table, then obviously stick with something lovely like a brie or camembert and then go into sort of a hard cheese, something a little bit more nutty, maybe like a manchego. And then you can throw in a wild card, something that you like. Sometimes I like to go like smoked gouda. I've also thrown in different sort of flavored cheeses that either have peppers or jalapenos or something like that in there. Or a blue cheese. I know people sort of poo-poo about blue, but it's delicious if you pick the right one. But my big tip, which I'm sure some cheese heads are going to maybe hate me for, if you're doing a cheese and charcuterie platter and it's going to be out for a little while, put your brie or put your soft cheese in the freezer for like five or 10 minutes. I pre-slice all my cheeses, including the soft cheese, just so it's easier for people to sort of take what they need without feeling like they're sort of cutting into or breaking up the wedge of the cheese on the board. And then by the time that everyone is kind of tucking into that beautiful platter, the cheese will have softened just slightly enough for people to kind of take and eat and enjoy. Love it. So it's not pre-sliced going in the freezer, right, Sarah? No, it's sir. frozen whole, come out, yeah. cut right after the freezer. But like but like frozen for like 20 minutes? Mm, not even that. She said 10. I would say like not even that. Five to five to ten. Like you're just, just so firms sort of up a little bit. Taking it from the fridge to the freezer to just kind of firm up a little bit. Definitely don't then start this process and leave your brie on the counter for twenty minutes because then it's yeah. gonna be not so fun. And by the way, another good tip I think we've talked about is what you're saying. Start slicing up the various cheeses because people will yeah tend to take it more. Some people are a little shy about like grabbing the yeah. knife and cutting, but if they're already sliced up, they can just like grab a chunk. And if you have something like a feta or like a blue, like a gorgonzola or something like that, you can sort of crumble that cheese into kind of little crumbles or chunks that, you know, sit on the platter as well. My other tip for cheese and charcuterie, even if you're doing sort of a mini version for just a couple of folks who are coming to your house, definitely add like different colors and textures. I love olives and pickles, little, uh, what are those little peppers called? The red ones that aren't really hot, but they're... The pepperdews? Yes. Pepperdew peppers. I love yeah. those. I also add like dips. Another little trick or hack for you, store-bought hummus, whack it in a little bowl. Do like one of those fancy chef like swoops with a spoon, a little drizzle of olive oil, a little sprinkle of something like a turmeric or a paprika mm. and some flaky salt. And it looks like you whipped up that hummus by yourself, but yeah. No way. Step aside, Michael Salamanoff. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Store-bought hummus. Laser wolf this. <laughs> you know what else I buy at the store is fig jam. I'm a big fig jam guy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you recommend that? Any other jam or anything else? I think sometimes they do regular honey too. Anything else you recommend? Yeah, honey. You could use hot honey. I like Mike's Hot oh, Honey, so a great local brand from here in Brooklyn. The other thing that you can do too is... Even at the supermarket, but if you're at sort of more of a curated sort of cheese and charcuterie store, they sometimes have these beautiful little compotes or preserves that aren't like just the fig jam. I love fig jam, but I do agree that, you know, it's probably something that a lot of people have had if you're trying to do something unexpected. The other thing that's kind of fun is actually getting a little sort of wedge of honeycomb. So you've got that honey flavor, but people are also kind of cutting into something that's a little bit different and unique. So all of that good stuff. You can find honeycomb. Yeah. I found it at my local supermarket here in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. But, you know, if you can't find that, you could definitely do like some sort of like blueberry compote or 
anything like that would be good. Yeah. Cappy, you were saying you're going to tell me my hot honey. I need a hot honey. Dude, Mike's hot honey is so good. There are some other random brands, but also like if you're in a pinch, two things. One, if you have or find Calabrian chili paste, it's more like an Italian grocer type thing. Mix in a tablespoon or two per cup of honey and you have your own homemade spicy honey or... I'm sure you have sriracha at home. You could add a little sriracha to honey to do a spicy honey. But just keep in mind when it comes to honey, usually like the lighter the color, the lighter the flavor, which is good when you're mixing in something spicy. So you're not getting like a weird floral honey with spice. So if it's like the more clear the honey is, is probably better for like mixing in this case. Again, I'm no scientist, Ian. Yeah, you play one on a podcast, but I do think that I love adding some jam or honey or something to the cheese. I think it really brings it out nicely, of course, with any cracker or even without a cracker. Yes. You know, for those people not doing gluten. I'm excited. I can't wait to do the cheese plate. Now we've thrown everyone's Thanksgiving plans for a wrench. Like It's just cheese. Yeah. It's just cheese in my book. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's what my family has me do. So, you know, watch out. This year I'm doing it with my in-laws. So they always... Let me do that cheese board. So I'm excited about this, Sarah. Thanks for the tips. That being said, back to the main dishes, because I want to make sure people feel ready for the meal tomorrow. Mashed potatoes, Cappy. Staple. Got to have it. What are the questions you get or what do you tell people with that? I go classic. I think it's personal preference. You can use a food mill or a ricer and get like the super smooth ones, or you just use a regular potato masher and mash them up to the your desired consistency. If you go chunky, non-chunky, skin on, skin off. Me personally this year, I'm getting rusted potatoes. I'm going to put them through the ricer just because I recently had a super smooth, buttery mashed potato at a restaurant. And I was like, I'm making those for Thanksgiving. So you know, I like to, it's Thanksgiving. Like I'm not like, I'm going to do skim milk and light sour cream. I'm like going full fat. Sorry. I'm like half and half or cream or like butter. You know what I mean? And I like to heat up like a couple cups of my liquid along with the butter in a pot, just over low heat. It gives it a little better texture when you're adding the warm liquid to the warm potatoes. Sometimes if you add cold to warm potatoes, it tends to get a little gummy. So I just bring it up and just until it starts like steaming in the pan, you don't have to boil it. Always start your potatoes in cold water, bring them up to a simmer. Once they come up to a simmer, salt the water. Always cut your potatoes in like shapes and sizes so they cook evenly. And then just like, you know, once it comes up to a simmer, about 10, 15 minutes later, check it every five minutes, lift them out of the water, pierce them with a knife or a fork and just you want it to go in like super easy. And when that happens, they're done. Strain them out. My wife, who you know, does not let me do the mashed potatoes. That is her jam. And then, by the way, after you strain them, add them back to that warm pot you just cooked them in and put them back over like low heat for like a minute. And some of that excess steam will come out and give you also a better texture. So mashed potatoes seem so easy, but there's so many like little things that can make or break them. And I speak from experience because in culinary school, I once had to do mashed potatoes for one of my cooking practicals and I fucked it up so bad. I like added way too much butter. It was like separating. I brought it to my chef. I was like, oh man, like tail between my legs. Well, we were going to make them the other night and we didn't have like the right mixing utensil. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, it's fine. We'll just mash them. And oh, no way. I had to run <laughs> to the neighbors and borrow it. And so I, I think uh, Lauren shares your sentiment there, Cappy. You can't, you can mess them up. Stick to the basic technique. Don't overthink it. If you want to add cream cheese or sour cream or Greek yogurt or chicken broth or vegetable, like you do you, you know, but just follow those basic tips of like, like shapes and sizes, start them in cold water, make sure they're 
you know, steam is evaporated before you add everything and you'll be good. You could figure like four or so ounces of raw potato per person. So about like one pound of potatoes will feed around four people. And don't forget, you have so much stuff on your Thanksgiving table. So no one's, you know, taking heaping spoonfuls of mashed potatoes. I mean, they may be, but, you know, don't go overboard. Cappy, I'm going to go gravy to you right now. I feel like gravy is it's something that I feel like the end, right? You're cooking at the end, you bring it all together with the gravy, with everything you've been cooking during the day. What's some tips you give people that, you know, text you about what to do with my gravy or how to do gravy? I'm a big gravy fan. I also go simple of what I think is simple. I start with classic roux, which is equal parts butter and flour. And then I add a liquid. And here's, I'll make this simple for you. One tablespoon butter, one tablespoon flour, one cup of liquid. That liquid could be chicken broth, turkey stock or turkey broth, equal parts broth and apple cider. If you want to get a little funky and fall, you know, flavory. And essentially you put that butter and flour in a pan in a skillet or little sauce pot, mix it together. It should resemble like wet sand. And I know you know what that looks like, Ian, Mr. Beach Boy. Once you have that wet sand look, you're going to slowly add in the liquid and whisk it around. So it kind of incorporates nice and homogeneously. Is that a word? Yeah, I think it is. And then you keep whisking it like a medium heat or so. You want it to come up to a low simmer. Once it comes up to a simmer, it's going to start to thicken. And you could cook it out for, I don't know, five, 10 minutes or so, maybe a little more. Season it up really generously with salt and pepper. From there, you kind of have a really good base gravy. If you have pan drippings from your turkey, however you're cooking it, you can add some of those pan drippings into this, you know, gravy base. So, you know, add in some chopped fresh parsley, rosemary, thyme, sage, whatever extra herbs you may have on hand from whatever other dish you cooked. So again, pretty basic, good ratio for you. One tablespoon flour, one tablespoon butter, one cup of liquid. That's going to get you a little over a cup or so, you know, of liquid, which is, you know, figure a couple ounces of gravy per person, I think is a good metric to go by. Thank you, Cappy, for those. I did cheat, though, and look at some things you are making. And a couple uh, partners of ours are going to be in some of your recipes. Because we do this together, I get to see some of the uh, information that you're thinking in your head. And I saw that one is cranberry sauce and then the other is stuffing. So I'm going to start with the stuffing. Potentially, you might be using Martin's in that. I mean, I'm a big Martin's potato roll fan. They have potato bread stuffing mix, which has to be delicious. I'm also a traditionalist when it comes to stuffing. I actually use Rachel Ray's. She has this like famous apple, apple and onion stuffing or apple, celery and onion stuffing. It's pretty traditional, has some apple for sweetness, poultry seasoning, fresh herbs if you want. I've done this a number of ways. I've cooked it in a big casserole pan. So it's nice and brown and crisp on top. One, two, I've made it in individual muffin tins. I add an egg to the stuffing mix. So it helps as a binder. And I make like individual stuff like muffins which is another Rachel Ray thing. In three, another Rachel Ray thing, stuffing balls. You could kind of pack them and form like almost baseball size or a little smaller stuffing balls and bake them so everyone has their own individual stuffing. But yeah, I mean, stuffing is another personal preference thing. When you saute all the good aromatics, you know, carrot, onion, celery, whatever you're adding in there with the, you know, stuffing cubes. It's all about like that liquid you're adding. You want it to just be nice and moist. You don't want to like 
soak it in so it's a blob and a mess, but you'd also don't want to under moisten it so it's dry. It's kind of about hitting that balance. Kind of, you know, find some stuffing recipes and whatever the liquid measurement is, is will be a good guide for you. But start with a little less. You could always add more. And we'll also link to Rachel's classic apple and onion stuffing recipe too in the episode notes. Perfect. And I want to fly through because I want to get to some of Sarah's sides here. But the cranberry because I said it, yeah. cranberry sauce. I go simple. Go. Listen. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Not simple. You're doing a spin this year. I got you, bro. I'm going okay. Negroni cranberry sauce. Damn. See? Negroni cranberry sauce. Negroni cranberry sauce. Here's where it goes simple. One 12-ounce bag of cranberries in the store, one cup of sugar, one cup of water. Add the sugar in the water to a little pot. Once it starts simmering a little, that mix it up. That sugar's dissolved. Add the cranberries in. Bring it up to a simmer again somewhere between 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20, all those cranberries will start popping and be nice and soft. And that's your base. That's a good base cranberry sauce. From there, you can add your cinnamon, your cardamom, your orange zest, your nuts, your other dry fruit, whatever you want. I'm going classic Negroni. Classic Negroni is an ounce of gin. I always prefer Ford's, good friend of the podcast. It's an ounce of sweet vermouth. It's an ounce of Campari. So I'm going to make a nice Negroni. I'm going to give it a little taste, make sure it tastes okay. And then I'm going to share some of my Negroni with my cranberry sauce and add a few tablespoons at a time. All right. Well, that sounds delicious. Joel, it does. Joel, our editor extraordinaire, is listening. So, Joel, I am going to ask you to go off mute. Are you making a Negroni or what is your drink at Thanksgiving? Because you are our mixologist. <laughs> yes, on this. sir. I normally do do a Negroni, but I'm really equal opportunity for any cocktails that are on tap. So, <laughs> mainly I like a good glass of wine during Thanksgiving. There you go. All right. Keep it traditional. Well, maybe you'll try his cranberry sauce, right? I mean, it sounds incredible. I think I have to make it now. Yeah, man. So, all right. Well, there you go. All right, Sarah. Two side dishes from you real quick. You have one that I feel like everyone asks you for the recipe and it's like cheesy, corny, yes, casserole thing. Yes. Oh, by the way, I've told you this before and I will tell you again. Maybe my parents scarred me this as a child, but I, when I hear the word casserole, I get this adverse, like terrible reaction that oh, like no. casserole means like terrible. But maybe you can change my mind. Maybe it, did, maybe it did mean terrible. Maybe we need to make some progress. I hope your mother is not listening. Yet. Oh, my mother probably is listening. She's our biggest fan. Oh, my God. What did you do to him, Mrs. Cohen? I would try your casseroles. Yes, casseroles. <laughs> Too many casseroles. Sorry, Mom. Mrs. Cohen aside, Sarah, tell me about your casserole. I think this is going to change your mind. As people can probably hear, I'm actually Australian, but I moved here 22 years ago. So... I got sort of welcomed, welcomed into this beautiful Thanksgiving tradition and this is actually a dish that I've been making since one of those very first years. It's super simple. It's not fancy, but it tastes so ridiculously good that from the moment I made it, everybody asked me for the recipe. When I was working at Bon Appetit and ended up in their magazine, it's also secret, in their article this year for their big roundup of best Thanksgiving recipes. So, yes. woo, it's like the woo. recipe that Everybody keeps on giving. It. Yeah, It does. Look at you. I'm making, it. I'm making it. I'm going to change my mind on casseroles. I'm making it. Sarah. Exactly. It's so easy though. So you just start with like a jalapeno, some onion and garlic in a pan, throw in two cans of corn, get that nice and sort of simmered and smelling delicious. Put in a little container of cream cheese, a handful of beautiful shredded cheese, like a cheddar or something like that, some palm, salt and pepper. It gets all melty and gooey and wonderful. 
put it in a baking dish, casserole dish, and then cover the top with breadcrumbs and herbs and that's it. You're ready. Finish it in the oven. Don't eat it before you finish it in the oven. (laughs) I mean, you could, it'd still be delicious, but the oven is like the final countdown for about 10 minutes until the breadcrumbs go brown on the top. Well, then change my mind about green bean casseroles, will you? Oh, boy. Here we go. Well, <laughs> I feel like you've really got some trauma with casseroles. Like, do we need to, do we need to like, sit you down, have, a, have an intervention? No. When, when Cappy plays a psychologist on a podcast, we'll join that one. Okay, that perfect. One. So green bean casserole, obviously everyone has their favorite recipe. I had a couple of versions that were wonderful, but I was like, huh, how do I sort of maybe take the can of cream of mushroom soup out of the equation and the, you know, the can of green beans or whatnot. So I use a saute of fresh green beans or even haricot vert if you want to get like a little bit bougie. And then I make a bechamel, garlic bechamel, a beautiful white sauce, throw in some palm into that. I also saute a bunch of wild mushrooms, mix that through that sauce and then pour that over the green beans. I will point out when you're cooking the green beans or sauteing them, Do them until they're just under al dente. They've still got a little bit of bite to them because you want them to sort of finish that final cook in the oven. This is something I make ahead of time. I make both these side dishes probably the day or the night before, and then you just finish them with the breadcrumb topping. And they're so, so good. And I don't know, I think they're a little better than some of the other versions. Don't hate me. No, I love it. Sounds great. What I love about this episode is that I think a lot of things you both have talked about are probably items people have already bought, probably have at home, right? Yeah. So you're giving them spins, ideas, different tweaks they can make. You know, Joel's got his Negroni mix at home and he's going to do cranberries. So maybe we just kind of combine the two, right? For example, or you probably have the green beans and some of this other stuff at home where you could actually tweak it a little bit or corn, what you mentioned. So I think that has really been helpful. And, you know, this is the day before, if you're listening to it on the Wednesday, which is great to give you that prep to think about, as you mentioned, maybe doing this tonight or tomorrow. Or if you're listening to this post Thanksgiving, hey, it doesn't have to be one day, right? So they can do this afterwards. But in that spirit to bring us home, I think, you know, I'm a big pie guy for dessert. I know some people here might not be on, on the podcast right now, but you know, other things that you might have at home are probably ice cream, right, Sarah? So I know you have a nice fancy ice cream you do here with some salt or something. Yeah. Like if I'm not the pie person, well, I am. So my pies are ready to go. It's easy. They come out of the oven. Hopefully, Joel, you're a pie guy too. <laughs> Huge pie guy. Yeah. We've got two two pie guys here. I think Cappy kind of is. But Sarah, what do you do for dessert? Bring us home with a meal here. Uh, what is something you tell people to do? Ian, I will say that you know, you can have your pie and ice cream too. So don't like cut one out. You can have all of the things. But this is something that I was inspired from Lilia, one of my favorite restaurants here in Brooklyn, Chef Missy Robbins. So good. So get the best quality chocolate ice cream you can find. Scoop that into a rocks glass. Drizzle over a little bit of a really good quality extra virgin olive oil. Flaky salt. I love molten salt. Some crushed nuts. I think like hazelnuts are perfect in this situation. And then just a little bit of orange zest over the top. And it's perfect. It's decadent. It's like festive, but it's not a hunking piece of pie. Unless you want pie, then go ahead. I love this. I love it. Thank you. Well, Sarah, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Thank you, guys. Enjoy yours. And I'm sure Cappy and I will maybe text during the day being like, how's the jerky going? How's your jerky going? (laughs) 
How's that Negroni? Well, that's why I didn't say happy Thanksgiving at the Cappy because I will be texting him that <laughs> yeah, morning, exactly. asking him questions so I can do my happy Thanksgiving text to him on the day of. Exactly. So thank you both because I think you've really, you know, made me excited about Thanksgiving and hopefully our listeners too because I'm going to try some new things and it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. We have faith in you, Ian. Yes. Tag me in that cheese board. I am thankful for this podcast. Thankful for all of you, but mostly thankful for Joel, who gets to edit this all together and make it sound good, especially makes you sound good every week, Cappy, right? Yes, sir. So thank you all. Excited about cooking a lot of this stuff. So with that, Cappy, bring us home. Everyone listening, if you want to get some of the recipes we talked about in this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player, or you can go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at On Cappy's Plate. Beyond the Plate is also on social at BT Plate Podcast. Again, you can find Sarah at Sarah McClellan NY. That's S-A-R-A-H-M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-N-Y. We'll also put her social handle in the episode notes. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode to Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast to Beyond the Plate, brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin, and then another Beyond the Plate the week after that, and then a Beyond the Drink, and then a Beyond the Plate. You get the picture. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.